Puridam Kija, Jagannath Puridam Kija, Gangamai Juna Devi Kija, Bhakti Devi Kija, Tulsi Maharani Kija, Samaveta Bhakti Rinna Kija. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya. Krishna Prasthaya Bhutalashi Mati Bhakti Vinata Swami Gichi Namane. Namaste Saraswati Devi Gorani Patani Nibhasesa Sanyani Paskachadi Satani. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Parakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Parijana Saita Krishna Jaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Vanchakalpati Vishaki Pasandavia Vitapati Tanam Bhavaneva Vajnavan Mama Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya in Dallas, Texas, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 22, Rukmini's Message to Krishna, Text 3 and 4. Reading through Text 3, Tapa Shraddha Yuto Dhiro, Nisango Mukta Samshaya, Samadayamana Krishna, Vishad Gandamadanaham. Detached from material association, Mukta, 
freed samshayaha of doubts samadhaya fixing in trance manaha his mind krishna upon lord krishna pravishat he entered upon ganda madanam the mountain known as ganda madana translation report the sober king beyond material association and free of doubt was convinced of the value of austerity absorbing his mind in lord krishna he came to ganda madana mountain purport the name ganda madana indicates a place of delightful fragrances undoubtedly ganda madana was filled with the aroma of wild flowers and forest honey and with other natural scents so we're going to read the next verse because that completes this story of Munchakunda and has, the next verse has no purport. So next verse, text four. There he arrived at Badrik Ashrama, the abode of Lord Narayana, where remaining tolerant of all dualities, he peacefully worshipped the Supreme Lord Hari by performing severe austerities. We read the corresponding section from Krishna book. Eventually he reached the mountain known as Gandamadana. It appeared there were many trees on this mountain, such as sandalwood and other flower trees, the flavor of which made anyone joyful who reached them. He decided to remain in that Gandamadana mountain region in order to execute austerities and penances for the rest of his life. It appears that this place is situated in the northernmost part of the Himalayan mountains where the abode of Narayan is situated. This place is still existing and is called Badrakashrama. In Badrakashrama, he engaged himself in the worship of Lord Krishna, forgetting all pain and pleasure and the other dualities of this material world. So generally speaking, we like to go to a nice place, Ganda Madana. Ganda means flavor. And Madana means? What does Madana mean? Huh? To become bewildered, uh, intoxicating, uh, enchanting. So enchanting fragrances that completely overwhelm you. So of course the fragrance industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. Multi-multi-billion dollar industry. But of course there's perfumes directly, right? Various perfumes to put on the body. But then so many other things are scented. Your soap is scented, your toothpaste is scented, your shampoo, your dishwashing liquid, your laundry detergent, right? So many things have some scent. And of course, when we eat, a lot of the flavor of what we eat is in the scent. The tongue can taste only sweet, salty, uh, sweet, salty, bitter, pungent, astringent, and sour. Uh, That's all. Just like when you have a cold, you lose the flavor of things. You can tell it's sweet, but you can't tell what kind of sweet. What's the, this particular thing is actually the smell. And of course, we use fragrance in worshiping the Lord. Even the most minimum deity worship has five items. One of them is incense, and one of them is nice scents, some kind of scented oil. So we're all very interested in things that smell very nice, and we're not interested in things that don't smell nice. Of course, part of that is our biological wiring for health that we can tell whether or not something's pure or impure by the scent. 
And in fact, the five universal moral principles that have been found by sociological research, one of them is purity, that everyone is attracted. People think purity is a moral principle. Of course, each society defines purity differently. But why are we attracted to things that are pure? Because impure things make us sick. I mean, this is pretty simple. And one of the ways we tell whether something's pure or impure is by the smell. People who don't have a sense of smell, they have a hard time telling if food is good or not. You know, if they're going to have a tomato in their refrigerator, is it still good? Just by looking at it, just by feeling it, it's very difficult. They tell by smell. So we all want to be in a place that has nice smells. Yes? One of the, one of the prime indications of something that's, that a place that's pleasant is how it smells. And my daughter told me first time she went to Hawaii, as soon as she got off the plane, first thing she noticed was the wonderful smell all of the flowers, like here in Gandamadana. So all the different flowers were perfuming the air. Uh, recently when I was in Houston, I, they had a, it was a night jasmine blooming outside the building where I was staying. And the first night it was blooming, it actually woke me up. The smell was, was so uh, strong. I did some research into night jasmine. Some people were saying that they didn't like the smell, so they cut the plant down and threw it away. So I was thinking, you know, people in the mode of ignorance... Their idea of nice smell is a little different. And Prabhupada told that story when we saw Srila Prabhupada in 1975, when he, we were taking him to the airport in New York to go to London. So in those days in the airports, there were no security. You know, none at all. And also, you could go with, your, with the passenger onto the plane, even if you didn't have a ticket. You could go onto the plane and get them situated, you know, and then you get off the plane. You go right, you know, not just up to the gate, up to the plane. And also in those days, there were no prohibitions on smoking. Anybody could smoke anywhere. So you have to keep those two things in mind for the story to make sense. So somehow when we came to the airport, we came in the, like the back door of the airport. And we were going through like the corridors by the officers and by the offices. And then we came to the VIP lounge because Sri Prabhupada flew so often he could stay in the VIP lounge. It was under construction. There weren't very many people there. So Sheila Prabhupada was sitting on a couch, maybe 15, maximum 20 of us that had also come. And I was sitting to Sheila Prabhupada's left, maybe two feet away. I was sitting right by the edge of the couch. And Prabhupada started by asking the devotees that he knew well how they were doing, how were their children, how were their friends, you know, informal kind of talk. And then Prabhupada noticed that one of the airport officials was having a heated conversation with our GBC Rupanuga in the back of the room. Prabhupada said, what is this? And I'm pretty sure it was Jai Dwaita who was then Brahmachari, who said, oh, Prabhupada, they're complaining because we threw flower petals. So we had had these, these great big bags of flower petals when we arrived at the airport. Oh, thankfully, the bag with the flower petals arrived before Shri Prabhupada, and we made a carpet of flower petals from the door to the VIP lounge. And Prabhupada, they're complaining about flower petals. They want us to clean them up. So in those days of ISKCON, we didn't think much about public relations, and we didn't think much about the non-devotees, except they were hogs, dogs, camels, and asses. So the idea of cleaning up our flower petals was not a very important priority to us. And then again, I think it was Jaidrita, I don't remember exactly, who said, Prabhupada, they don't complain about the cigarette butts. Because then people were smoking in the airport, and they smoke, and many times they just throw their cigarette butt on the floor. They don't always put it in a proper container. And so there's people going around the airport all the time with these big dust mops 
you know, cleaning up the cigarette butts. So Prabhupada, they don't mind the cigarette butts, but they don't like flowers. And Prabhupada laughed. And he told the story of how his godbrothers went to preach in Burma. And when they were cooking, the local people complained about the smell of ghee. You know what a wonderful smell ghee is. You know, when you're making ghee, perfumes the whole atmosphere. And he said they were, they were making complaints that the smell of ghee was wafting out of the windows and, and polluting the atmosphere. And what did they like to smell? So they would take uh, dogs after they died and they would bury them in a container for a few years until they became liquid. And then they would take this liquid dog and they would drink this on special occasions. Okay, so, <laughs> of course, well, so what we consider a nice fragrance depends very much on our mode of nature. You know, somebody who's in the mode of ignorance might consider that the, the smell of beer is a nice fragrance. You know, what is, what is alcohol? It is simply rotting things. That's what it is. You know, it's, it's rotting grains or rotting potatoes or rotting fruit. And someone in the mode of ignorance, oh, this is very nice. Or just like so many of the modern perfumes, they're just chemicals. They're just made in a laboratory. Oh, this is very nice. But the natural smell, they don't like. But all of us, according to our modes of nature, we want to live in a place that, you know, what we consider a nice smell depends on our mode of nature. But every one of us wants to live in a place that's nice, has nice smells. We want to live in a place, according to our idea in the modes, that is beautiful. Everyone is attracted to beauty. Everyone is attracted to beauty. Again, one's definition of what is beautiful may be different according to one's modes of nature. You know, if you're a male warthog, you will think a female warthog is very beautiful. But the idea of being attracted to beauty is there. And ultimately, it's not relative. Ultimately, there is an absolute standard of beauty, and there is an absolute standard of what is nice fragrance and what is a pleasing atmosphere. So we are all looking for this. Just like I have two kids who live in Hawaii, so I have a little room there. And people want it from all over the world. They want to go to Hawaii. If people say, where do you live? I say, Hawaii. Oh, you're so lucky. It's like, yeah, it's just a place. After a while, you know, the Europeans kindly brought mosquitoes there. But people want to go there. Why do they want to go there? Because it's beautiful. It's full of flowers. It's full of fragrance. It's full of clean waterfalls. You know, it's full of a, the, the ocean is, is clear, and it's, the rain is hitting the volcano, and so the, the clear waterfalls are flowing. And you can go there. You can live in the forest. There's one devotee there before she became a devotee. For one year, she lived without any shelter, without any means of support, just climbing the coconut trees and picking the avocado. She said she actually gained weight that year, just getting the natural fruit and bathing in the ocean, bathing in the rivers, going in a cave when it rained. So you, you can live like that there. There's a, a natural juice store there on the island where we stay. And when you go there and you say, okay, I'd like some pineapple, guava, banana juice, they say, okay, well, it's one minute. Really, I really, this is really... And they go outside and they pick the fruit. And they come back and they make the juice. So people want to live in a place like this. I mean, of course, again, mode of ignorance people, their idea of a heavenly place is Las Vegas. 
where it's all neon lights instead of plumeria trees. You know, it's a different idea. And in Las Vegas also they have scents. So I've been told that the casinos, they have understood what kind of fragrance induces people to go without sleep and to gamble. Seriously. And they, they pump these fragrances into the gambling casinos so people will stay up. But the, the point is that even those sort of people, still they're looking for a fragrance and they're looking for beauty. So we all want to be in a wonderful place. And here in Muchakunda, he's going to this wonderful place to meditate on Krishna, to enter into samadhi. Samadhyaya manaha krishna. To put his mind in samadhi on Krishna. And to perform austerities, tapashradha. He had faith in austerities. He had faith if I perform austerities. Nisango, sangha is association. He'd given up materialistic association. Right? Mukta. He was free from materialistic association. He had faith in austerities. He was a dira. Dira statva nuyute, says Nishapasha. The dira no. Or Krishna said, the dira dehi no sminyata dehi kamarami avanandra. Tata dehantara praptya. Dira statva nuyute. Dira is not disturbed by the change of body. So this Machakunda, he was this kind of person. He was a sober, steady person who knew the value of austerity and was in samadhi on Krishna. So he wanted to go to a place of beauty. Of beauty for the eyes, of beauty for the nose, of beauty for the ears, of beauty for the touch, of beauty for all of the senses. So we may also think like that. Let me go to some beautiful place to do my bhajan. Let me go to some peaceful place. And that's valid. I mean, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, that one of the items of knowledge is being attached to living in a solitary place away from the general mass of people. This attraction, not only to beauty and fragrance, but to natural sattvic beauty and fragrance, is one of the qualifications of a devotee or even any sort of saintly person or even someone in the mode of goodness. So if we want to have a, just like we're supposed to accept what's favorable and reject what's unfavorable, so if we want a situation where we can be, you have here the detachment and the attachment. If you want to be detached from illusion, nisanga, to give up materialistic people, nisanga mukta, to be free from materialism. We talked the other day about materialism. Why do we want to be free of materialism? Because it smells bad, actually. Materialism is rotting. It's, it's the smell of a rotting heart, an evil heart. We talk about, you know, Kama Krodas Tatas Lobas. Trividam Narakasyadam Dwarinasthanamatmina Kama Krodas Tatas Lobas. Tasmareta Toyam Twajet. That if you have lust, anger, greed, envy in your heart, your heart it's, it smells bad. It stinks, it's, it's rotting, it's disgusting. If you want to be free from this materialism, materialism doesn't just mean having a BMW. You can be a saint with a BMW. That's not what we mean by materialism. But if you want to be free from this rotting materialism and perform austerity, what does austerity mean? Real austerity means that you find the heart of God. Tapome ridayam sakshat atmaham tapasam. Krishna says to Lord Brahma in the second canto. Tapasa ridayam sakshat. He says, tapasya. Tapasya ridayam. Rida means heart. Sakshat. 
non-different sakshata between us and astashastra. Tapasya hridayam sakshata. Tapasya is my very heart. Atmaham tapasa. Atma means self. Aham? I. My very self. Atmaham tapasa. My very tapasya is directly my heart and my very self is tapasya. What does tapasya mean? Giving up the false ego. What are you, what are you giving up? You're giving up this idea, ahamamati, I and mine. The world is, is for me to possess. So when one sees how smelly and stinky and ugly lust, anger, and greed are, one naturally wants to give that up. There one will find the heart of God. Sarvagatam Brahma, Nitya Yagya Pratistitam. God who is everywhere is eternally found in sacrifice. Materialism is taking and spirituality is giving or sacrifice. So on the negative side you could say if one wants to find a place to give up to let go of the taking, to let go of the stinky, and to embrace the fragrant, samadhya manaha krishne, to be totally absorbed in samadhi in one's mind on Krishna. And Krishna, of course, is the source of all fragrance. He says he is the fragrance of the earth. Whatever fragrances there are, they're coming from Krishna. They are Krishna. Krishna has a particular fragrance also. Musk and a guru. Yes? So if one wants that, one goes to a place that's externally fragrant. Therefore, the devotees, they try to create their external atmosphere like that. Just like in this room. So we've created a beautiful room. This was before a gymnasium, yes? I think so. Create something beautiful, an attractive floor with a nice pattern and shiny and the sky and all of the devas singing and all of Krishna's leela. It's so nice to chant Jai, Mad- Jai Radhamadava in this room. There's Radhamadava, Kunja Bihari, there's Gopi Janabalava, there's Giri Varadari, there's Yasoda Nandana, there's Raja Janaranjana, there's Yamuna Tiravanachari. So this is one Saying Bhaktivinoda Thakur got the perfect place. So this, you set up this atmosphere. One creates an atmosphere, and then we invite the Lord into that atmosphere. And then, just like Prabhupada said, when you chant in the temple, you get a thousand times the benefit of chanting someplace else. Like meaning that we create, we, here we create the holy dom. It's not the holy, it's not eternally the holy dom, like Vrindavan or Mathura. Like Gopu Kumar, when he came back to the material world after being in the spiritual world, he said everything had changed except for Vrindavan and Mathura. So this place will not be after the devastation, it will not be a holy dom anymore, Budfa, Budfa, Praliyate. But it's a temporary embassy. So we create a place like that. We go to a place like that. Let me, let me go to a place that's going to be conducive. Let's go to, go to a place where it will be easy to nisanga mukta and tapasharaha, to have faith in tapasya, to give up materialism and to be absorbed in samadhi. 
You know, it, it's hard to be absorbed in samadhi in, you know, the Christmas shopping in the mall. But we don't say, okay, I'm going to chant my rounds in the middle of, of Macy's five days before Christmas. But then you can say, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right, if we're all going to go to a conducive place in order to give up materialism and be in samadhi, well, what are we doing in Dallas all together? Why don't we just all take Rupa Goswami's advice in the Upanishad and go to Radhakund? And you find that there are many devotees who think like this. They make the mistake of thinking that because going to Gandhamadana, going to a place of intoxicating fragrance, is conducive to Krishna consciousness, is helpful to Krishna consciousness, is desired by those who want to be Krishna conscious, that you must have it to be Krishna conscious. They think it's necessary. They think without that, you can neither engage in tapasya, giving up materialistic association, nor can you enter into samadhi. It's a very common mistake of a neophyte. That my external situation must be conducive in order for me to fix my mind on Krishna and give up sense gratification. Because it is a fact that one who wants to give up materialism and fix one's mind on Krishna does like to go to or create a place of beauty and fragrance. That, that's true. And such a person does not like to live in dirty places. That's a fact. Does that mean that one cannot enter into samadhi and give up materialism in a dirty, stinky place? Is that what it means? So I was thinking in, in preparing for this verse about something that I read in a book called Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Thomas Akempis was a 13th century Catholic monk. And there's a very, some very wonderful insights. And one of him is that, well, maybe I'll just read it. How's that? Instead of paraphrasing it. I couldn't decide if I was going to read it or paraphrase it. I came at least prepared to read it. He says, it is no great thing to mingle with the good and the meek, for this is naturally pleasing to all. And every one of us willingly enjoys peace and likes best those who think like us. But to be able to live peacefully with the hard and perverse or with the disorderly or those who oppose us, this is a great grace and thing much to be commended and most worthy of a person. So he's saying anybody can think, oh, I'm tolerant and happy living with nice people living in a nice situation, living in a place of peace and beauty where everybody's nice to me and everybody's in harmony with me. That's easy. So, but a really great person, a really great person can live in harmony even with those who are hard and cold and in a nasty situation. He says, there are, there, there are who keep themselves in peace and keep peace also with others, and there are who neither have peace nor give anyone else peace. They are troublesome to others, but always more troublesome to themselves. And there are those who hold themselves in peace and study to bring others unto peace. Nevertheless, all our peace in this sad life lies in humble suffering rather than in not feeling adversities. He who knows best how to suffer shall possess the most peace. That person is the conqueror himself and the friend of God and the inheritor of heaven. So I was reminded of the 
statement by Maharaj Yudhisthira to Vidura when Vidura returned from his pilgrimage and Maharaj Yudhisthira said to him, you are yourself a place of pilgrimage. You are yourself a walking place of pilgrimage. So a very neophyte devotee, they have to have everything conducive in order to meditate on Krishna and do tapasya. Even then they have a hard time doing it. Potentially he would not Krishna. Even if they go to Vrindavan, what do they say? Wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> or the other, you know, probably I think that said it was Bengali saying, you bring your forehead with you wherever you go. You know, the, the real problem is, is within us. So even if we're sitting here in the temple room, in this beautiful atmosphere with the incense and so forth, or even if we're sitting, you know, at, at the banks of Radhakund, then, like Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati said, you can actually be at Narakakund, you can actually be in hell depending on your mentality. So anyway, the lowest uh, neophyte thinks, I have to make my environment conducive. And the unfortunate thing about this mentality is, is it possible in Kali Yuga to make your environment 100% conducive? I don't think so. Even in Hawaii, Captain Cook brought the mosquitoes. You can't do it. You can't create an environment in this world. Wherever you go, you can even go to Brahmaloka. There's going to be some disturbance. You can go to Swarga, and then, you know, the demons will come and take over, and the demigods have to assume other forms and run away. It's a fact. Even Lord Brahma gets disturbed by the demons. There's wars. Of course, Brahma doesn't fight. So if we're thinking my Krishna consciousness depends on the externals, guess where we're going to put our energy? And the externals. And you never become Krishna conscious. Then you're always preparing to be Krishna conscious. You never actually become Krishna conscious. You never actually enter into samadhi. I'm just going to prepare to enter into samadhi. Or you never actually perform tapasya. You just prepare to perform tapasya. It's like somebody who's shopping and cleaning the kitchen and never starts cooking. A good cook, a good cook can clean in a kitchen with no ingredients, can cook in a kitchen with no ingredients, yes? A really good cook can go in a kitchen where the cupboards are practically bare, the refrigerator is practically bare and make something anyway, isn't it a fact? Yeah? Nobody who went shopping for three days can make everybody, you know? Not dependent. Krishna says a devotee who's not dependent on the ordinary course of activities, who doesn't care for auspicious or inauspicious, is very dear to me. So while certainly we try to create an auspicious atmosphere or go to an auspicious atmosphere, we're not dependent on it. But the neophyte is always trying to change everyone and everything in their atmosphere. Not only do they try to change the atmosphere, they try to change the people. Okay, everybody in my family has to support my Krishna consciousness. I don't know what you're going to do if you become a gopi. What are you going to do? Spiritual world, your husband's going to try to keep you home. It's such a strange way of thinking. Everyone in my life, everything has to be supporting my Krishna consciousness or else I can't be Krishna conscious. How are you ever going to go back to Godhead? Krishna creates conflicts in the spiritual world that make coming to Krishna difficult. Hey, even Krishna sends you home and makes it difficult. Just, just imagine 
So these gopis, the, the Shruti, the Shrutis, the Munis, they were doing austerities and meditating on Krishna for millions and millions and millions of years and many births. The rishis, they saw Lord Ramachandra. That was a long time before Krishna's appearance. They were doing austerities for many, 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 many births. Finally, they take birth as gopis. Finally. And Krishna takes their clothes, but then he says, not yet, later. I'll be with you later. So they have to wait again. And then finally, finally, Krishna calls them with his flute, and they hurry up, and they get dressed, and they put the bottom part of their sari on the top, and only one earring, and they're just like, where is Krishna? You know, they leave the japati burning on the stove, and they stop eating and they stop feeding others and then their fathers, their husbands, their brothers are standing at the door. God, don't go out. Another obstacle. Some of them actually couldn't go out. When they finally go out and it's night, it's the forest and there's tigers. It's actually tigers. And they're running through the forest and they finally, 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 after millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years, there's Krishna. And he says, what are you doing here? Nice girl shouldn't be out in the middle of the night. Why don't you come home? You're supposed to be dharmic. These were the the personified shrutis speak about dharmic. You're supposed to be dharmic. Take care of your children. Take care of your husband's eye. Don't come here and be with me. Leave. Imagine it. Imagine at the end of this life, right? Finally you see Krishna and he says, what are you doing here? Go home. And they were devastated. Crying. Krishna, please. Accept us. Please accept us. And Krishna, okay. And then he's going through the forest and they're playing smiling and Krishna is increasing their desire to be with him thousands and thousands and thousands of times and when their desire to be with him was at the ultimate pitch he left he left he does that kind of thing you know the voice of the sky says okay Devaki Kamsa the eighth child of Devaki is going to kill Kamsa and so they go through all these kids that Kamsa kills right in front of them as soon as they're born that's pretty traumatic and the Devaki apparently has a miscarriage and finally, finally, finally Krishna gets there. Finally he appears and then he says, take me to Gokula. Bye. I'm leaving. You know, if we think, if we think everything has to be perfect from a material point of view before I can meditate on Krishna, how are we going to enter into Leela? It's not Leela. That's Ramajoti. Everything's just perfect forever. It's not Lila. Of course, in the Lila, the obstacles are also perfect. The obstacles are facilitating love. They're not impeding love. Whereas the obstacles in this world are actually, well, are they really? Or are they tests? So a lowest class person they can't, they can't be peaceful on their own unless they're in a perfect place. And they can't make anybody else peaceful. They pick up on other people's uh, 
disturbance. If, other, if the place smells bad, they can't make it smell good and they get a bad smell. And that's the lowest. And then the next highest is somebody that they can keep their own peace, but they can't give it to anybody else. They can't affect others. Of course, this is reminding us of the degrees of eligibility for bhakti, yes? Like the neophyte devotee, the one who has the least eligibility for bhakti, Pandupa Goswami, is one who themselves has a shaky faith in the Shastra, and if somebody else comes along and bewilders them, they, begin, they get bewildered. And the middle, they can't convince others, but they don't get bewildered. And the top, they're convinced and they can convince others. That's the most eligible person to perform bhakti. So we should try to be the kind of person who not only carries our Ganda Madana around with us, or better yet, Goloka Vrindavan, rather than just Ganda Madana, but who carries our Ganda Madana around with us and spreads it to others, that we're not affected by other people's smell, but they're affected by our beautiful fragrance. We should be a walking Ganda Madana. We should be a walking Tirtha. We should be a place of pilgrimage. Srila Prabhupada did not think that being a walking place of pilgrimage was limited to people like Vidura. He didn't think that. Srila Prabhupada was in Geneva, Switzerland. He wasn't in Mathura or Mayapur, what to speak of on Swarga. He was in Switzerland. He was in a Western country. And he gave a class on being a walking place of pilgrimage. And he told everybody in the audience that they should become a walking place of pilgrimage. That wherever we go should become like Gandaman. So that not only are we able to have faith in austerity and give up materialism, Nisangamukta, but we should be able to enter into samadhi and absorb our mind in Krishna anywhere. It's nice to have a stack of books here. You don't get that opulence very many places. Most places you have to have it on your head. But sometimes it's nice to just read, isn't it? Then you know I'm not making it up. 12.2, Bhagavad Gita. A pure devotee is constantly engaged. Sometimes he chants, sometimes he hears or reads books about Krishna, or sometimes he cooks prasadam, or goes to the marketplace to purchase something for Krishna, or sometimes he washes the temple or the dishes. Whatever he does, he does not let a single moment pass without devoting his activities to Krishna. Such action is in full... Samadhi. 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 Prabhupada says you go to the marketplace. Is the marketplace on the Madana mountain? I don't think so. Prabhupada says in the marketplace, you can be in full samadhi. So we want to bring our tirta with us. And Prabhupada in Geneva said how to do this. He said chanting Hare Krishna means that you make a diamond throne in your heart and you seek Krishna there and you bathe his feet with Ganji's water and Jumuna water and you worship him and you dress him in beautiful clothes and ornaments. And he says, you imagine, he uses the word imagine, he says, you imagine you have placed one diamond throne in your heart. He said, but it is not false, it is real. It's interesting, Shri Prabhupada used the word imagined, and then he said, it is real. 
and Krishna is accepting. And then he says, if you chant Hare Krishna and carry Krishna in your heart, wherever you go will become a tirta. So this is what we need to do. Obviously, as much as possible, we should make our environment like this. Where we live, we should have some place that we create as a sacred place, as an altar. Have deities or pictures, burning incense, nice fragrances, everything should be very clean. Prabhupada's instructions here for Dallas for the school was that the children should be trained to be revolutionary clean. And everything should be so clean that it looks new. If you go to our temples in Hungary, it's like that. It looks like the buildings were just built. Everything is sparkling. Shiva Maharaj says everything has to be Vaikuntha clean. There's no dust in Vaikuntha. And everything's clean. Even there's rooms, his own rooms have glass walls. And completely clean. So we should do that as much as possible. Nice fragrance, beauty, flowers. I remember when my father first visited the temple, he said, so many real flowers. I mean, in India, that's normal. You know, you're at Krishna Balaram temple or some festival, and they make houses out of flowers. They make walls and stuff out of flowers. You know, these guys come, like 50 guys, and they work all night, and they just they make these flower buildings. Everything's covered with real flowers. In the West, it's only, you know, the Rockefellers who do something like that for a wedding. No ordinary person <laughs> could afford something like that in the West. But, you know, real scents, real flowers. Of course, also in the modern flowers, they're bred to have no smells. They're bred for shipping. Like the fruit is bred for not bruising, you know. Everything foamy. Anyway, try to have real flowers and real fragrance and real clean. One of the duties of the, of the household woman given in the seventh canto is that she should always fill the house with wonderful fragrances. So I told one housewife who didn't do that. I said, your duty is to make sure your house always smells nice. That the diaper pail for your children is sealed. You know compost is taken out. There should always be nice smells in the house. So we should do that as far as possible. And we should also, as far as possible, fill our lives with sweet-smelling people. I don't necessarily mean literally, but that their hearts smell sweet. We should associate with people whose hearts are full of the fragrance of love of God. We should try to avoid places and people that are rotting. But for service, we talked yesterday about service, about how Richard did whatever he was supposed to do because it was service. So if it, but if it's my service, or if it's the will of Krishna, if Krishna says, live with these nasty people, live in this nasty place, then we try to become a tirta. Our Krishna consciousness should not be dependent on anything, otherwise it's not love. 
So I always give this example of that old song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Ain't No River Wide Enough to Keep Me From Getting to You, Baby. I actually heard that song being played in a store a few months ago. It's like, oh, I always talk about that. So materially, it's not true. There's a mountain high enough and a river wide enough to stop us from loving people. If it's too difficult to love people, we stop loving them. But our love for Krishna should be like that. Like in that book, Salted Bread, the devotees who were imprisoned in the former USSR for distributing books, and they were told, unless you tell us where your press is, unless you tell us where your stock of books is, unless you tell us where your leaders are, we're going to beat you, we're going to imprison you. And they were in a place as far from Gundamadam as you can imagine. They were in a prison cell in the Soviet Union. You think it smelled nice? There was just a bucket for everybody's stuff. You understand? In the corner. It wasn't even like a lid for, on a toilet, you know. It's just a bucket. It's not like the place was clean. And it's not like they gave them cleaning supplies. It's not like as a prisoner you say, well, could I have a rag, please, and some... You know, bleach. And the place was full of rats and bugs. And then what about the other people there? You're in a cell with very nice people, right? Murderers, rapists, child molesters. That's your association. And yet they were Krishna conscious. Not only were they Krishna conscious, they brought Krishna consciousness to others. If you haven't read the book Salted Bread, please read it. If they were found chanting, they were beaten. And yet, yet, and yet, they got the other prisoners to have a kirtan. And when I say beaten, I don't mean just like a little slap. They were beaten. And then his back was broken. His, he lost most of the sight in his eye. Most of his teeth were knocked out. I'm talking about small things. And yet, they had everyone in the prison. They were having kirtan from one cell to the next. They taught the prisoners how to offer their food. So if by the will of Krishna I have to be with materialistic people, if by the will of Krishna I'm sent to preach in Las Vegas, then I accept. I, let me become a walking tent. Let me uh, imagine a diamond throne in my heart to chant Hare Krishna and imagine a diamond throne in my heart and place Krishna there and beg his feet with Gamma Unconditional. Not conditional, not conditional on my body being fit. How many people have a fit body? I don't know. Nobody seems to have a fit body anymore in this age. I don't know what's going on. Everybody seems to have some kind of disease. If my mind is fit, nobody seems to have a fit mind anymore either. Seems, isn't it the problem? Our body may be broken, our mind may be broken, our associates may be not conducive, our environment may be not conducive. Oh, Krishna, I can't worship you now. I can't go into samadhi. I can't do any tapasya. First, I have to go to Gandhamana Ramanda. Let me become that. Let me change the atmosphere. Srila Prabhupada came and changed the atmosphere. That's what he did. So many other Vaishnavas, sadhus, oh, I wouldn't go to the West. Prabhupada brought Vrindavan with him. Prabhupada created little Vrindavans all over the world. And so many years after he's left the planet, it's still like that. The fragrance is lingering, huh? 
you have a very fragrant flower, even after you take it out of the room, the room still smells nice. Srila Prabhupada was so much meditating on Krishna, on Vrindavan, that even though he's not physically present on the planet, still Vrindavan is here. Oh, that's Prabhupada. Now Prabhupada was in Geneva asking all of us to be like that. He wasn't talking just to people born in Saraswat Brahmin families or Vaishnava families or... Prabhupada didn't take some excuse while well, you're a pure devotee, but can I We're all ultimately pure devotees. Jivara Swarapaya Krishna and Nichidash. Krishna's already in our heart. Rudeshyajunatistati. Shanhari Krishna, and imagine that you have created a diamond throne in your heart and you've invited Krishna to sit there and you're bathing him with Ganga and the water and Prabhupada said it is not false, it is actually a fact. To be the kind of person that has our own peace and brings peace to others. That's what we want to do. And then we will be dira. That is dira. Dira isn't somebody who just like represses their urges or something like that and then later explodes. That's not the Questions, comments? Yes, Prabhu. That was scary. The exploding microphone. Hey, Krishna. Sorry about that. That's okay, sure. Hey, well, thank you for another wonderful class. It's a real pleasure to have you here. My question has to do with <clears throat> um, a devotee making others peaceful. And um, we see Chukhapa's <clears throat> example, my Guru Maharaj's example, Bhakti Sananda Sarasvati's example. A lot of times, they were like, you know, calling people names and angry. And, they were agitated. You know, yeah, and, and very aggressive. And, you know, to the point where someone in the audience might start to even criticize Prabhupada. You know, mm. how can this be a sad? How can you be a sad? Mm. Look at you calling, you know, names and anger and all of that. <clears throat> so my question has to do with that. That you're, you're placing the importance of devotee life on making others peaceful. But we see an example of most of the acharyas, this very heavy, almost like uh, uh, just cutting and, 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 and hammering, you know, of, of others. So how does a surgeon make you healthy? How does a surgeon make you healthy? One good friend of mine in North Carolina just had a very serious operation to remove a tumor that was on her face. It was very serious because if they cut any nerves in her face, her face could become paralyzed. So it was an all-day operation. So they're risking. Why, why didn't you do it? Why take that risk? Or just like there's a, one of the devotees here who was a, battled cancer three times and he was telling me what he went through. You know, that the doctors gave him such heavy chemotherapy to kill him. And the only way he would live is they first had to extract part of his bone marrow and along with the chemo, they had to give him back some of his bone marrow to protect him against the drugs that would otherwise kill him. 
and his immune system it said it was so horrible, you know, you're just vomiting, 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 and all your hair falls out, and it burns, the chemo burns ulcers in through your esophagus and your stomach and your intestines. Your whole digestive tract becomes filled with burned ulcers. And then your immune system is so shot, you have to stay in a bubble and nobody can see you unless they have caps and gowns and they have to stay outside the bubble. I said, are you glad you did it? He said, yeah. So were those doctors creating health or disease? They were mean doctors. They were mean doctors. You know, if your kid, this actually happened to me, if your kid who doesn't know how to swim goes and steals a boat and goes in a river that's about to fall over a waterfall, are you just sweet? You just sweet? There's your kid who doesn't know how to swim. This happened to me. There's your kid who doesn't know how to swim, who snuck out and got in a boat at nine years old and is in a river that's about to go over a waterfall. Are you just like sweet? You're just like, oh, that's not a very good idea. Maybe you'd like to get out of the boat. Do you do that? Yes? Yes? I give the example all the time of people who have these exotic pets, you know? They got a pet python, they got a pet tiger, pet tarantula, whatever, you know? And you gotta shake them. It's a tiger! No, it's my pet. It's not your pet, it's a tiger! No, no, it's my pet. It's a tiger! <laughs> Oh, it's a tiger. Ah! <laughs> Our anartas are all things that the conditioned souls think are artas. Every single one of our anartas is something we think is an arta. Bhakti Sinanta Saraswati said we're holding on to a tree and we think the tree is holding on to us. We are not victims of Maya. We're not innocent victims who really want to love Krishna and are really sincere devotees and, you know, we have such a pure heart and, and that nasty Maya for no reason is victimizing us and forcing us. That's what Arjuna said. How, why am I forced to do sinful things? Krishna said, you're almost. You're not being forced by anything. That's, that's a hard thing to get people to see. It's extremely difficult, and it requires some cutting to get people to see that. It's extremely difficult that I am willfully, at every moment, holding on to loving, caressing, worshiping, come ashrita, Krishna says, and ahankar ashrita, taking shelter of lust and shelter of false ego, sleeping in the lap of the witch, and it's not that the witch kidnaps us and sticks us on her lap. We go to the witch. Oh, my nice witch, can I sleep on your lap? It's a witch! No, it's not. It's my mother. No, it's not. It's a witch. Get off her lap. But it's so warm here. It, it takes something strong to get people to see that 
we're choosing to do something and be something that is killing us. It's like most addicts and most alcoholics don't know they're addicts. You know that. Most people addicted to this, they don't know they're addicts. I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. I just like to drink. They, they, don't, they don't recognize what they are. Most abusers don't think they're abusers. You know that, right? Oh, she really wanted it. Yes, you're aware of this, correct? You know the majority of people in prison do not admit they committed any crime? Even to themselves? So in order to have let people get rid of what's killing them and destroying them and making them miserable, you have to get them to see the naked form of material desires practices. And to see the naked form of material desires is a heavy, difficult thing. That's not an easy thing. It's very easy to see that everybody else is a materialist. That's easy. You know, when I first moved in the temple, there were all these heavy, heavy, heavy classes about the materialists. I'm like, yeah! Those materialists, yeah! And after two months, you know, it's like, oh, I'm a materialist. Or they, they were always talking about the impersonalists, and I thought, why are they spending so much time on that some group in India? <laughs> oh, I'm the impersonalist. So it's, it, it requires some... It's like if you're going for drug treatment, you know, it requires some what? What's our first word here? It requires tapasya. Tapaha, shraddha. And one has to have faith in the tapasya, like this devotee who underwent all that horrendous medical treatment. He had faith in it. I mean, I don't know if I would, but, but he had faith in it. You follow? He had faith. If I do this tapasya, I'll get well. So, one has to have faith in the tapasya. My friends, it is tapasya. To give up the false ego is tapasya. It is. But it brings you peace. What is at the end? Anantaram, Ishantim. The end is peace. Did you have a question? Yes, yeah, one question. Is the condition uh, that we have to walk on pilgrimage that wherever you go carry? Yes. Yes. And uh, when I went to Chakur, I was trying to the sixth first of when he prayed, the Sarang Sarangati of Yidijah, Tarakatma Shunashimanda Kumar, who was really following the sixth process of surrender, then Krishna, Nanda Kumar, Krishna, here is prayer. So the one was the point that's conducive. As I anything is nothing is conducive for Krishna consciousness, we will avoid it. We will avoid it, yes. And it's conducive, etc. So the, can you, the, in this case, whether we are devotees, what should be our nature? Like uh, sometimes we do, we don't know how to protect ourselves. Mm. And in playing, they say, okay, must you put fast yourself and then put your face. Or your baby, someone. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes. And the airplane. Yes. So, so sometimes we see he is so, he has lots of, he throws so much jump of interest to the priest, but sometimes we see they don't know how to really uh, 
for Krishna consciousness, continues to protect us. Mm, mm, okay, I think I understand you. So you're saying one of the six processes is to accept what's favorable, another one is to reject what's unfavorable. And a devotee might think that, well, let me put myself in unfavorable situations to help others, and then they might not be able to take care of themselves. Yes, they cannot protect themselves. So first you have to protect themselves. Thank you for bringing that up. So Srila Prabhupada says, the highest principles to save others and higher than that is to save yourself. So if you don't, yeah, if you don't save yourself, exactly like you said on the airplane, the tendency is first let me put the mask on my child. Therefore they always have to make that announcement. Because a person will think, let me first give my child. But no, then both you, both of you will die. Because as you're adjusting it on your child, you'll die. So first you have to put your own. But my point is we're not, first of all, we're not always in control of making a conducive atmosphere. In Bhakti Vinata Karan Sharnagati talks very much like this, that I'm going to plant Madhavi vines, and he talks about he's going to plant all different kinds of flowers. And he says, any season that is opposed to pure devotional service does not find any favor with me. Like winter? I would think. Well, there's a winter in Goloka Vrindavan, but I don't think it's quite like Dallas winter. There's a winter season in Goloka Vrindavan. <laughs> but it's interesting, if you read Sharanagati and, and Bhaktivinoda Chakra talks about how he's setting up his place at Swananda Sukhada Kunj, and you can go there still and cross the Jalangi. I'm going to install the Empress Tulsi on a throne and I'm going to plant all these flowering plants. So at, at, uh, at our place in Hawaii, I just recently did that. You know, I was studying Sharnagati and we, we spent some money to put in some. We put in a whole bunch of gardenias and we put in something called the Forbidden Fruit of India, which fragrances for about four houses in all directions. It fragrances. It's a flower. It's a flower, yeah. It's called Forbidden Fruit of India. It looks something like a gardenia. I think it's also sometimes called like a Samoan gardenia or something. It looks something like a gardenia, but it's got kind of a whirl. And then we also put in one of these needle flowers and a bunch of different plumerias. So yeah, we should, we should do that, of course, as far as possible. It's not that the devotees in the Soviet Union intentionally went into the Siberian labor camps. They're, they had their own place with their little altar and their incense. But in the course of their service, they were captured and put into the labor camps. So my point is, if you're put into a situation like that, then you don't say, well, now I can't be Krishna conscious anymore. You know, unless my situation's perfect, I can't be Krishna conscious. And your situation will never be perfect. So then you'll never be Krishna conscious. But yeah, as far as possible, as far as possible we should create a conducive situation as far as possible. One has to save oneself first. You have to save yourself first. But we could be in a non-conducive situation either just by the will of the Lord or because of our past karma or whatever. It doesn't matter anymore why it is. Or we could, be, we could intentionally go into a non-conducive situation because we have some mission. And in such situations, we have to be particularly careful. You know, Bhakti Tirtaswami talks about how when he was preaching behind the Iron Curtain, he'd have to chant his japa in the bathrooms of the trains in the Eastern Bloc countries. Now, even today, in 2013, if you take a train in what used to be the Soviet countries in Eastern Europe, they are really nasty. The bathrooms? The whole train. And especially the bathrooms. I've been on trains in, in former communist countries, former communist countries, 
where there was no water in the bathroom. And there was no water anywhere on the train. The first class compartment was what I would call a 10th class compartment. And everything was dirty. It looked like the trains hadn't been cleaned since 1940. I mean, somebody had like some swept or something. But... So just imagine when it was actually communist. And he was sitting in the bathrooms chanting Joppa for, for Seva. So sometimes, but one should be careful. One should know one's own. You have to save yourself first. One should not take up some service voluntarily that's going to destroy your own Christian consciousness. Highest principles to save others and higher than that is to save yourself. So that, that's, a, that's a whole principle that we could speak on for a week, I'm sure. You know, don't do emergency duties that are out of, that not in accord with your nature for more than a temporary emergency. Don't put yourself in a, don't intentionally put yourself in a position of weakness for an extended period of time. It's very foolish. It certainly doesn't please Krishna. Highest principles to save others and higher than that is to save yourself. But that doesn't mean that I have the power to make my environment totally conducive for Krishna consciousness because I don't have that power and I haven't met anybody who has that power. And if we're going to put our energy into that, we'll never be Krishna conscious. So both those things together. One more really quick. Anybody else who didn't say anything yet? Take one more from you. I wanted to ask you when you're talking about embracing the tree, like we're holding on to Maya, and then we're blaming. Yes, isn't that cute? We're blaming. Now, would you go so far as to say that the the Christian concept that we were raised with, that there is Satan? Well, I wasn't raised Christian. Okay, well, Jewish. But uh, Satan, um, you know, the concept of satanic uh, influences. Um, and it, it, as an excuse for evil. There are satanic influences. There are demons. Demons are real, and there are demoniac entities who will try to possess you. Demoniac possession is real. It's not that that's not real. But it seems, my point is that it seems to be an excuse. In other words, all right. oh, all right. it's so the satanic influence that Satan himself you know, and that's why this bed is here. And well, the general mood—the like general mood of a materialistic person—is not to take responsibility, to be a victim. That's the general mood. And one of the primary things one has to do if one wants to go back to Godhead is to take responsibility. And therefore, you have all these prayers of humility. What do you think humility is? Among many other things, it's taking responsibility. It's being honest. Nobody wants to take responsibility. Um, We would like to apologize because mistakes were made and people have suffered. Of course, we all tried our best. Is that an apology? Mistakes were made. Didn't somebody make them? So we're all, we're all trying to be a victim. I'm, I'm a good person. I have good motives. Materialistic person thinks, I have good motives and good intentions. I just sometimes do foolish things, just my mistake. I never intend to do anything foolish. That's a bunch of nonsense. 
The real devotee sees my heart is filthy. Sometimes I happen to do good things by chance. And unless and until one is willing to see that, that doesn't mean you get depressed. It's not like, oh, it's not, that's, that's just stupid also. And the best way to think of it, the easiest way to think of it, is if somebody has offended us. Has somebody offended all of us? Does everybody have somebody in their life who's offended you? Okay. So, no? That's good. You're like a Jata Shastra. You have no, your enemy was never born. You're like, you just do so actually it said that because Maharaj Yudhisthira felt that no one had ever offended him, that no one had ever been his enemy, therefore the whole earth was prosperous. But anyway, for most of us, we consider that somebody's offended us. I have a list of the people who I consider have offended me. And some of them, very grievously so, yes? Some people have offended us very grievously. So maybe some of those people, we would like to have a relationship with them, but we can't trust them. Does this resonate with everybody? You have somebody in your life with whom you'd like to have a closer relationship or maybe a relationship altogether, but because they've offended you, you can't because you don't trust them. So what do you want from them? You want an apology. What do you want in their apology? You want, first of all, for them to take responsibility. You don't want them to to spread the responsibility. You don't want them to say, well, I did wrong things, but you did wrong things too. Maybe you did, but that's not what you want to hear from them. And I did wrong things, but it was because of my father left my mother when I was a baby. You don't want to hear that. I did wrong things, but that because I was raised in, you know, Australia, and that's the way they do it. You don't want to hear that. You just want to hear, I did something wrong. And, and I realized that it hurt you. And you want them to explain why it was wrong. It was wrong because I violated trust. It was wrong because I, I wasn't truthful. It was wrong because, you know, I, I, I didn't... Respect confidentiality. It was what you want them to, to name what they did. I mean, one time I was apologizing to someone and I said, I'm really sorry that I hurt you. And the person said, You need to tell me what you did. I, I want a list of what you think you did wrong. Because otherwise, I don't know that you know what you did. So we want the person to stay, you know. I was a guest in your house and I stole your money, or whatever it was they did. Or I went behind your back and said nasty things about you. you Whatever. I stole your wife. Whatever the person did, we want them to to say, this is what I did. And then what do we want? We want them to offer some sort of restitution, if possible. That's called tapasya. I stole $100. Listen, here's $150. We want them to do something to demonstrate, if possible, to, to fix it and to demonstrate that they're, they're willing to take responsibility. As, as one uh, management guru says, you can't fix with words what you broke with deeds. You, broke, you did something to fix it. And then a promise, I'm not going to do it again, which only makes sense if you understood what you did. So that's what Krishna wants from us. That's what's demanded from us. Is that all right? Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Thank you.